right. Well, thank you folks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is going to be a really fun one today. Uh, I'll tell you why in just a second. But first, I got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and uh, and Website Amp, uh, because Mark Bershon over at Website Amp is a key part of what we're doing over here. And so we really appreciate his support. And uh, I don't know exactly when you're hearing this, but I know we had a great time at Running Aces uh, Hotel Racetrack and Casino for our uh, Rec Poker weekend down there. And we'll get into some more details about that on a later show. But uh, we love Running Aces and we love poker. That's why we get together here every week to talk about folks in the poker world, to share our love of poker with the rest of the poker world. I've got the best job in the world. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. Uh, but you don't have to because you're going to find out about some of the other Rec Poker uh, Wrecking Crew members here today. Every once in a while, we invite longtime friend of the show, Greg Clem, to come back on and do a, an interview of one of our uh, standard panelists. Uh, tonight, we get to talk to Rob Washam. Uh, Rob has been a member of the Wrecking Crew for a long time, was one of the core team members that sort of started this whole thing uh, with Steve back in the day. And um, so I'm joined by Greg and Rob and Keith Brandt, or Monkey System, as you might know him, uh, is also here in the chat tonight. And so we're going to get to know Rob Washam a little better. So without further ado, uh, Greg Clem, thank you so much for coming in and uh, doing all the heavy lifting today. The heavy lifting. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah. Excited to be getting to know Mr. Washam, too. So this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to get ready? To I think it? we should jump right in, man. Yeah, let's, let's get going. Let's jump in, Rob, and let's start at the beginning. Let's go way back to when he was born in 1953. <laughs> 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 take, take us back to how you got into poker, what got you into it, and uh, how has it evolved since then? Well, like most people, I used to play, you know, around the kitchen table with the relatives, sometimes get together with a few friends for a home game. We never played Hold'em. We didn't even know what Hold'em was. Um, so we were playing things like baseball and spit in the ocean and, uh, you know, all these weird, stupid games with a lot of wild cards and everything else going on. So I don't know how real a poker it was, but that's your, you know, that's what you, I guess that's how most people are introduced to the game. You know, um, grandparents, aunts and uncles, things like that, sit around the ta kitchen table and play penny ante poker. And then one day in the late 90s, I was watching ESPN coverage of the World Series of Poker. And keep in mind, back then, they didn't even show whole cards. It was just they would show what was, you know. And I had seen bits and pieces, you know, earlier. And this year, I happened to watch an entire episode, and it just fascinated me. It was when Varconi uh, beat out, I think he beat out Sammy Farha, if I'm not mistaken. Um, for the, was it 99 something? It was, it was, I think it was a year after Helmut Helmuth won or so, shortly after Helmuth won because Helmuth had made a bet that Varconi could not win because Varconi was a amateur. And the bet was that he would have his head shaved if Varconi won. And so I remember the episode ending with them shaving off Helmuth's hair, you know, in the, and he was on the sidelines there on the rail. And so it fascinated me. The whole idea of Hold'em just fascinated me. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out what this game is all about. So I went down to the local bookstore and bought a beginner's book on Hold'em 
because that's how I learn things. I don't do anything without learning about it first. So I wrote, read a book. Um, it was just so basic. It was just the basic, the most basic book you could find. And uh, I said, oh, this is kind of cool. So then I went down to Canterbury Park and jumped into a 2-4 limit poker game. And I actually won $100 that day. So I was like, wow. Yes, you can, easy money. You can, you can win. This is easy. <laughs> so uh, I went back a few more times after that and, of course, lost my ass. So um, <laughs> that's my introduction to poker. Um, shortly thereafter, I think it was my wife actually found online poker. Now, I think a site called Paradise Poker was back in the early 2000s. And so I uh, jumped on there, made a deposit, and I've just been playing ever since. Wow. So poker was still fun to watch on TV when they didn't show you the whole cards. Well, when you didn't know what the hell was going on, it was just, you know, trying to figure out what, right. what's happening. It's right. funny because the other day I watched um, Stu Unger, one of Stu Unger's episodes where he won uh, the World Series of Poker. They're not showing whole cards. And they had, uh, you know, Gabe Kaplan was uh, one of the announcers. And they're and talking, the, the strategy they're talking and how they reference things is so much different back then than it is today. I mean, it has evolved so much. It, I just, it was amazing. That would be really interesting. So how did you get into rec poker? Uh, well... I've known Steve since long before rec poker was a thing. I met Steve uh, way back, Grand Casino Malax. Um, we were at a Grand Series tournament. It's a two-day tournament, $1,100 buy-in tournament. And he got he got um, moved to my table probably during the last one or two levels of day one. And, you know, Steve, he's just such a friendly guy. He just starts talking, you know, and I we started a conversation. We started up a conversation, started talking, and then we got done. We both made it to day two. And afterwards we stood up, we started talking. He was telling me about his all in for Africa charity poker tournament, blah, 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 blah. And I, that was very interesting. And so that was like a month later. So a, a month later I showed up at the all in for Africa and ended up chopping it five ways. So I ended up being going to the end. Um, so I spent a lot of time with Steve there. And then shortly after that, he invited me to his home game. He used to have a, a home game that he'd run like seven times a, a year or something like that. And, you know, point, you get points each week and, you know, it was just a, a fun thing, get together. And he had, he had like 18 people. So I became part of that group of players that, um, Steve kind of, Steve kind of just people just gravitate towards Steve for some reason. So I've been part of Steve's uh, gravitational pull for uh, a long, long time. So being an early member, if you will, then that's how you got into the wrecking crew side of it. Or did that happen at uh, Ecolax? Yeah, basically he just, de he decided a couple of years later, he decided to start a podcast. And in the early days of the podcast, he you know, no, it wasn't like on zoom or anything. He, we would just, he would just record it and he would interview local poker players. Um, and he'd do a little spots of, of, uh, strategy and he would have people that he knew, um, 
put in, you know, we would re- pre-record a little clip about whatever this subject was that he wanted to talk about. We'd do a little pre-recording and he'd include that in the podcast. So I've probably been been one of the people that were included in the very first podcast that Steve's ever did. Oh, we yep. should dig that up out of the archives. I, I got to break in here because I, I remember all those early editions of the podcast that I was listening to. And Rob, yeah, you were featured quite prominently in those sort of like around the circle pre-recorded conversation sections. Um, yep. And I, yeah, I remember very well listening along to uh, Rob and Steve and the rest of the gang before I decided to join as well. It's uh, it's it's a great, great journey that you've been on with Steve. Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. I mean, um, poker is such a part of huge part of my life anyway. And I think Steve recognized that I was very interested in learning, very interested in growing, very interested in in you know discovering more and more and more about this game that we all love. And I think he saw that in me, and and definitely we saw that in each other, and you know kind of fed off of each other and in, in the um zeal i guess that we had for the game nice nice so you're retired now mm-hmm. what did you do before you retired what kind of work were you involved with i spent uh about over 30 years with a company um in minnesota here called the ram maintenance of way we built railway maintenance equipment okay cool and i held a lot of different positions my final position was production manager so I did all the scheduling and the cost estimates and everything for the equipment that we built. Gotcha. So do you play more poker now that you're retired than you did when you were working or did you? No, not really. (laughs) You always found a way to fit it in. No, I it's yeah, I just, uh, I don't play a lot of poker. I play online a lot. Um, I like to play live better than line uh, online, but I, I just don't get it out as much as I'd like to. Um, but you know, um, I play online a lot and I do a lot of studying. I, I read books, by the way, in case you didn't notice. Um, I have a we'll book study. That, that yeah. <laughs> we will, we'll get to that here in a minute or two. Uh, that's cool. So you do spend a lot. I mean, that was one of the questions I actually had was if you spent more time playing at a to retired, but the other part of that question was, do you have more time and spend more time studying? And it sounds like you do. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I I always studied. I mean, there was I played online poker really strictly until um, Black Friday, and when Black Friday actually when Party Poker left, Party Poker left before Black Friday, and I was a big Party Poker guy. And in those days, most of the time you played limit poker, you know, fifty cent dollar limit poker, whatever. Um, and then Black Friday happened, and there was probably a gap of three or four years where I didn't really play a lot of poker. And then in 2012, I started jumping into the live arena because uh, online poker to me was gone. Right. Uh, as far as I, I didn't, I had discovered ACR. I didn't, you know, I just, it was just gone. So there was a, a probably three or four years there where I didn't play any poker at all. And then I decided to jump back in and I jumped into uh, live poker and there was a casino up in Mille Lacs. Um, anybody from Minnesota knows where that is. It's Grand Casino. And they have a small little eight-table eight, eight table poker room. And I'd go up there on the weekends and play in their daily tournaments. And they had they hosted the MSPT one year in 2012. And 
I actually made day two and then made the final table of a $1,100 tournament. And I'm, you know, I didn't know shit from Shinola in those days <laughs> to put it, to put it frankly, but I thought I was, I was the bee's knees. You know, I, I knew it all. I made it the final table. Of course that was uh short lived because after that I didn't do much. <laughs> hey, you but, got that final table though. That's good. Yeah, I did. I did make the final table, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, uh, I played a lot more live poker and I prefer live poker. And then, uh, you know, I would play on the weekends a lot, you know, probably two or three weekends a, um, a month. I would go up to relax and play their, their Saturday night deep stack and their Saturday afternoon and their Saturday night. Um, so it was, it, it wasn't, I, I didn't really, I didn't really focus on it so much. It was more of a hobby. Just let's go up and play a little poker. Because I love the live arena so much. Sorry, something triggered Alexa to sing along with us. So no. <laughs> our music gone. It's a rom. So I know you've got um, some stories about, you know, after you retired, you, you, you adopted the local home game and they didn't take their studying as seriously as you did. And you didn't conquer that game right away. Do I have that right? Well, the local home game was um, before I retired. Okay. Um, you're, I think there was a couple of home games I was in. There was one um, that was actually at the golf course that I was a member at. And um, they would meet every Wednesday night during the, during the winter, basically. And there was not, no big prizes or anything. You know, it was a really penny ante. Um, thing, but it was a bunch of people that I knew and we'd sit around and they'd have bring the cocktail server down to the clubhouse room because there was a bar upstairs. So, I mean, we had, we had use of the, of that. And plus we had bar service. So it was really kind of nice and we get together and there'd be about 27 people every Wednesday night and very, very few of them really were studied players. You know, they were very, I mean, very recreational. I mean, they're having fun. They're having drinks and stacks were short. Blinds were quick. So basically, you know, you couldn't raise and have anybody fold. Everybody wanted to see the flop. You know, that's the type of situation it was. So I was getting crushed in this game and, you know, and my ego couldn't handle that because I, I know poker. I've, I've been at the final table of an MSPT for <laughs> I've read books. I've read books. <laughs> so this is a funny story because one day I decided I'm just racking my brain. How am I going to beat this game? So I decided one day, I think the only way I could beat this game is to go all in every hand that I had uh, either a suited connector any pocket pair or any two Broadway cards. So that was my, that was my thought. If I just, I'm just going to go all in with any of those cards because nobody's folding if you raise. So you might just, just go all in and see what happens. And um, so, so the very first hand of this night, I get six, seven suited. So I go all in. And everybody folds down to the big blind. 
uh, gal that that we know, and she has pocket aces. So she calls. The board runs out. I get a straight flush. <laughs> You're getting an angry fist at that point, right? So I, I, she was just beside herself. <laughs> and and so then after that, I told everybody. I said, okay, this is what I'm doing today, guys. If I have this hand, this hand, or this hand, I'm going all in. And the only time I didn't is if I was in a big blind and it limped to me. Other than that, if if I had a decision to make, I was going to go all in with all these hands. And about the middle of the session, I mean, people were just pissed because nobody could, if if I went all in, they couldn't see a flop unless they wanted to put all their chips at risk because I was a chip leader by then. <laughs> so nobody could see a flop and they were just getting mad. I mean, people were telling me, would you quit that? I want to see a flop with this hand, you know? Oh, that's funny. I ended up winning it, and that was the only win I had that whole year playing that game was when I had that strategy going in and told everybody what I was going to do. And you told everybody the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Then you just beat them over the head with fold equity, and it was the rest was history, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's the GTO way right there. You can tell them the range of hands that you're Mm -hmm. playing, and it's still so balanced that it's uh, it's pretty hard to play against. I love that. That's a beautiful one. Uh, Keith, sorry, you had you had a question. I think you wanted to ask. Yeah, Rob. Uh, now that you're retired, you're not playing poker every day, like you said before. But when you do go, uh, where do you like to go down there? Do you like to stay um, in like Laughlin area, or do you up to get up to Vegas a lot? We try to get up to Vegas like once a month. We usually get up there, and when we go to Vegas, we've actually been playing at. Ba- I've been playing at Bally's. I think we've had the conversation before, Keith. You've played there too. Their dailies. Yeah. Um, so I played at I play at Bally's when I'm up in Vegas. So I'm very familiar with Bally's Paris. So so when we mm-hmm. go when we go to the WSOP, I I know my way around. Um, <laughs> other than that, there's a there's there's two poker rooms in Laughlin. One's in uh, um, at Harris, and one's at uh, Riverside. And the Riverside Casino has some pretty nice uh, weekend tournaments. Uh, Friday night especially, it's a nice weekend tournament. Um, again, it's, these rooms are very small, you know, five or six tables, um, their tournaments will get two or three tables. So it's, it's nothing real, you know, strenuous or real. You don't, uh, let's just say you don't have to put a lot of thought into it. It's just kind of show up, splash some chips around and have some fun. Cool. I'm living my life vicariously through you, Rob. (laughs) I think we all are. I think we all are. So you talked about more time spent studying. You've talked about reading books, and I know you lead the book study group for Rec Poker. What would you say has been the most influential book you guys have studied? The one that's made the biggest impact on your game, and why? Oh, no doubt about it. It's Modern Poker Theory by Michael Acevedo. Um, from the standpoint of where I'm at in my poker knowledge, I guess you could say. Um, that book really expanded it so much. I mean, it, 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 it added so much to what I thought I already knew mm. and gave me so much more meat to uh, really digest and understand even better um, some of the you know, nuances, I guess, of poker. So definitely modern poker theory. Now did you, because I, I didn't read it and I didn't participate in that particular book study, 
I heard there's a lot of math involved. Do you have a mathematical background? Is that why you got so much out of it? No, I, 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 I'm not a math guy. I mean, I understand math. I use math. Um, but I'm not a, really a math mathematical guy. Like, like Steve was an actuary, so he was Mike, like Mr. Statistics, right? That's not me. Right. I did things like scheduling and cost estimating and things like that. So you have to have some basis of mathematics, right? But it wasn't to that extent. Um, I think I don't, you know, if there's a lot of mathematics where they're just kind of explaining the um, basic strategies around what they're giving you, saying this is why this is true. And they're using the math to say this is why this is true. So you don't really need to know the math. You just they're giving you the math so that they're, they're proving to you what they're saying makes sense hmm. so as long as you believe that you don't really need to use the math as much as long as you use the concepts that the math is teaching us interesting so you as you say you know you apply the math you don't you don't necessarily live by the math would you consider yourself to be a field player oh definitely uh much more of a field player than a, a math player i mean there's times where if you have a close decision you might look at pot odds and you look at your outs and see what, you know, kind of look at what your equity is um, if it's a close decision. But most of the time it's, it's, I'm looking at the player across the table from me. I'm looking, you know, I know how he's been playing the, the, this whole tournament. I can get kind of a feel for where he's at. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, I'm definitely much more of a field player than just a strictly a math player. Cool. I know you and I played a lot together in Peel when that was going on. Unfortunately, we that got discontinued at least or put on hold based on the tool set we were using. Hopefully, we can find a way to bring that back. For anybody that's not familiar with what I'm referring to, it was started by Eric, uh, who goes by Com Binkley. And it's a play, explain, and learn format where uh, everybody can, after the game anyway, but during the game, you can't see each other's cards, but you have a microphone on and you talk about your thought process. And then when everybody goes back to watch the replays, they can see everybody's cards and they can hear what each individual person was thinking when they were playing the hand and that sort of thing. Uh, more than once, I've heard people watch you play and listen to what you're saying. And, and I think it was Jamel that would say it most often. He said, Rob's calling out my hand again. He said he's he's using these hand reading skills, and it's like he always knows what I have. Is that a an area of your game that you've worked specifically on hand reading and that sort of thing? And if you have, I'm assuming you're going to say yes. Uh, how have you approached that? Well, yeah, I mean, probably five six years ago, I think it was Split Suit came out with a hand reading uh, deal on on uh, Red Chip Poker. Um, and it, that, that whole concept kind of fascinated me, obviously. And so I started, you know, started using it and then you listen to, uh, different people on podcasts, uh, you know, you listen to somebody like Ryan LaPlante and you listen to the, the way he breaks down a hand and, and how it, 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 um, all the different combination of hands that your opponent could possibly have. And you go, wow, that's, that's just so amazing. And what I'm doing is not really that amazing. Um, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, well, here's here's the thing. Whatever the 
happen pre-flop, you know, whether there's a raise, a call, whatever, whoever's in position, whoever's out of position, that kind of forms a kind of a range that we all use. We all use these pre-flop ranges, right? So you can get a kind of an idea of where that pre-flop range is, but then it happened more often after the flop. Because when there's flop action, now you can really, you know, you can really narrow down where that person is based on the actions on the flop. So I would just go through possible hands. So I might go through 10, 15 different hands. It just so happens that one of the hands I mentioned happened to be the one that Jamel had at that time. It doesn't mean I put him specifically on that hand, but I did put that in his range. You know, so I, I, I had a range of hands that he could be on. I put that in his range. So I don't know that I don't know that I did that much studying to get to that point other than just what makes sense, you know, what, what makes sense. And then I've, I've done a lot of the hand exercises, our hand reading exercises at smart, um, smart poker study. Um, Sky Machuhashi does, he has this great um, hand reading in 66 days and you just kind of, you know, you, you go through those using Flopzilla and you go through the ranges and you go, okay, it breaks down here, breaks down here. And it, it it's so obvious. I think sometimes the hand ranges and the, and the cards that the other person has, the ones that get you are where the person that you're playing against doesn't really have a, a very good pre-flop range. And then they end up showing up with something that's totally out of the, out of the ballpark. Yeah. But for the most part, if you're if you're playing against competent players that have somewhat of a of a reasonable hand range to begin with, it's it's not that hard to figure out what their possible hands are. So it sounds like that line of thought or that line of analysis is something you use pretty much in every hand you're involved with. You're that disciplined. Pretty much, yeah. That's good. Yeah, pretty much. That's I I consciously think about it. Um so yeah, I'd say I'd say I do it in every hand that I play. That's awesome. You know, I've watched a lot of poker on TV, uh, and I follow the WSOP. I know you guys are going to be playing the WSOP coming up here, as are some other folks. But I have to say, this is the first time I've ever talked to somebody that not only has played in the WSOP, but played on TV at the WSOP on a televised WSOP table. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was that was kind of interesting. It was one of those bucket list things where you you know you want to play the main event. And I got into a poker league, and the final the final um, I think we had like 10, 10 sessions, ten months worth of of poker, and you gain points each month. And at the final month, everybody plays. And you get a chip stack based on your the points you had accumulated. And then you play this last day. And whoever wins that last day wins a main event seat or the buy-in to the uh, WSOP main event. And this was in 2018. And I won the final tournament. So I got the $10,000 buy-in for the main event. Wow. I, I could have probably just, you know, cause I got it in a, a lump of cash. 
So I could have probably just you know hit the <laughs> hit the road. <laughs> Where's Ron? <laughs> yeah, I've done anything I wanted with it. But it you know it's one of those things. You, you if you get that opportunity, if you don't take it, you're going to regret it the rest of your life, right? Because right. there's not very there's I'm not going to be able to sit down and put down ten thousand dollars into the main event just on a, on a whim. So, so we went. And I, I went to the, I think I played day one B and, uh, I got to my table and I like to take notes on players when I'm playing live. So I immediately, as soon as, you know, you start talking to the people and you start finding out who they are and what's going on. And so one of the guys at my table was, um, Mustafa Kanit. And I don't know if you guys ever watch, um, inside the mind of a pro the Winamax series that's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys is Mustafa Kanit. He's like the number one um, money earned uh, tournament winner in Italy or from Italy. And then there was uh, another guy who was actually came in 15th in 2015 in the, in the main event. So he was at my table and then um couple other guys that you know i took notes on them and then this guy got busted out this guy got busted out they added another player right to my right his name was rob salaburu who happened to be a final table from 2012 or something like that and so uh he was sitting to my right and then shortly after that there was a seat right next to him that was open and jason mercier sits sits down wow so now jason mercier is like you know, he was at that moment in time, he was like the big stuff, you know, Jason, this is Jason Mercier. Oh my God. So the, uh, it was, it was such a fun table. I mean, everybody was having so much fun. We were just, it was just, uh, you know, we were all playing poker, trying to take each other's chips, but, but it didn't feel you know, there was no tanking. There was no, you know, sunglasses and hoodies and everybody was just, <laughs> jovial and laughing and talking and and it turns out mustafa kanit and jason mercier knew each other from before and they were talking about some party they had gone to in europe somewhere or whatever i don't know so everybody was having a good time and then all of a sudden all of these people showed up from espn showed up around the table and they gave us each a clipboard with a a a survey on it so you took take the survey and you write in all this information and then they bag up your chips and we walk to uh, the Amazon room where they have two feature tables. So we weren't on the main feature table. We were the secondary feature table. Oh, so you actually smooth tables. They actually had you stand yeah. up. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because this was all set up because it had the, uh, you know, the cameras so they could see the whole cards and it had the um, RFID, whatever. So you could see, so they knew what the whole cards were. The uh, dealer was all mic'd up and, you know, had a headset and mics and they had, ca- you know, the big cameras stationed at different places around the table. And uh, so there was one up here and then one down here. We were at the one down here. The one up here had Maria Ho and Michael Misraki on it. So that was that was the feature table at the time. And we were the secondary feature table. So we didn't get a lot of airplay, but we got a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. And it was a lot of fun. Did you did you feel like the 
the game flow and just the experience was different than what you were used to? Was it at a different level or was it somewhat typical? You mean in the, when we were on the final, uh, on the feature table? Well, not necessarily even on the feature table, but just being at the table with those pros and whatnot was the game. Yeah. I, I felt really comfortable. I felt really comfortable. I think just because of the way they were, um, just the way it was played out. I mean, you, I knew instinctively that they were going after me. <laughs> you know, they knew I was a recreational player, and these guys are pros, right? They knew I'm a recreational player, so they had it. They knew what I was all about. I mean, they really had my number. So, and I knew that, but I still had to play my game because I I could only play the game that I brought with me. <laughs> I, this is, this is my game. So I didn't, I didn't play any differently than I would have in Steve's home game, for instance. Right. You know, I'd still play the same ranges. I still, you know, made the same types of moves, whatever. So, um, but it was very, they made it, they made everybody feel very comfortable. The people that we were playing with, it was, it was a great experience. Didn't you earn a nickname in that game as well? Um, well, there was two Robs. We were sitting right next to each other, Rob Salabru and Rob Washam. And so Rob kept calling us Rob Squared. So, okay. okay, this is Rob Squared here. Yeah. Um, I did get I did get a little coverage um on one of the hands that I played. <laughs> um, it was funny because you know I didn't know when the cameras were on us and when they weren't. I really had no idea so it was we were just playing how we normally played and then i got a hand i had uh i think i had pocket nines it uh it folded to me i think i raised the guy next to me re-raised and i called and the guy next to me i'd been playing with him since you know he was there at the beginning of the tournament just like i was um and the flop came jack nine something. So I'd flopped a set. Good flop. And I was, yeah, great flop. And I was first to act. And I think based on my chip stack, that the best bet I had was all in. So I went all in. And the guy next to me called. Of course, then everything stopped. You know, they, you could tell that the dealer was told to stop. So we just sat there forever. While they and they're sitting around getting getting everything positioned, getting the cameras ready, you know, okay, we got an all-in moment, right? I don't know if this was back in the old Milwaukee days or the uh, the degree all-in moment. I can't remember which kind of all-in moment it was, but this is what it was. And so you could tell that the dealer was waiting. You know, he just sat there waiting. And finally, they gave him the okay, and he dealt out. You know, um, he dealt out the turn. And then um, there was another pause and he's waiting, he's waiting and waiting. And then they dealt out the river and it was another nine. Oh, the guy next to me had pocket tens. So, you know, he was looking for, he was, he, he was dead to a 10 basically. Mm-hmm. Um, of course there was a nine Jack. So it, maybe he's thinking the back door straight too, but anyway. Um, yeah. He was dead to a, basically dead to a 10 after the turn. And then I got a nine. And so then I watched it later on and the uh, Ellie, Ellie, 
Najad and uh, Shulman. I think Nick Shulman and Ali Najad were the two guys doing the commentary. And Ali, Ali Najad said, and he's got quads, quadzilla or something like that. And I'm going, what the hell? I just got quads. I mean, I already had the hand. It didn't really matter. I think but he had to make it exciting. From now until forever, you should be known as Quadzilla. That should that should be yeah, the there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, you've done a ton, a ton of podcasts. I mean, you've been here since the beginning, and you've seen a whole bunch of different people come through the doors of Rec Poker. Who has been your most memorable guest, and why? Oh, that's really tough. That's really really tough. Um. I think Ryan LaPlante, because of the way he goes through his analysis of poker hands, is to me is just amazing. I just I'm in awe every time after one of his podcasts. Um, there was one in particular, and I can't remember. He's been on a couple of times. There's one in particular where I think I recommended to people, the uh, recreational players to go back and listen to it because he talked about the things that recreational players do wrong. Mm. And he was so, I mean, the things he talked about were so relevant to the recreational game that it was, it was, it's like a, it's, it's like a study session of its own. It's mm. not just a podcast. It's like, you should study this because this is like, this is like a study. Set. This is like a focus group. You, you need to, you need to listen to this podcast over and over again and take what he's saying and use that to learn from. And then there's certain players um, that have, or guests that have been my heroes, like Tommy Angelo has always been a hero of mine ever since I read elements of poker. He's into the meditation thing, which I'm, I've been, uh, med been meditating for many, many years. And so it, you know, there's an affinity there, I think, with Tommy Angelo. We're about the same age too. So that works out. Um, but we've had so many great guests that it's hard to say, you know, who's, who's my favorite. If you could interview or have anybody on the podcast today, living or no longer necessarily with us, who would it be and why? I think, I think I would really like to get into the head of Stu Unger. Um, they, it's, you know, you, you, there's a movie about his life and this, that, and the other thing, but there isn't a lot of out there about how he thought about poker, how he thought about the game. What is, what was his strategies? How did he, how did he maneuver his way through, uh, these poker tournaments and win? you know, how, how did he do that? What was, what was his thought process? Because listening to the commentary when I when I, I was telling you about when I watched that YouTube video listen to the commentary I mean it was so basic I mean mm -hmm. some of the terminology they used I would you know you would laugh at today so I'm just he was so far ahead it seems like he was so far ahead of everybody I'd really like to know how he approached it you know from just a, a strategy the game how does he approach that very good. I know you are, and you, you you mentioned this a little while ago as well. You you play the player as much as you play the cards that are in your hand, that sort of thing. And you talked about how when you're live, you like to take notes of the people that are at the table and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I posted to the forum at one point when I joined a league 
a local league. And it occurred to me, I'm going to be playing with these same people every week. There's got to be probably something I can get from this. And you replied to my post. And mm -hmm. I think you probably uh, applied a lot of what you replied with at the same thing that got you that WSOP win. Do you want to talk yes. about how you approach that? Well, yeah, it's in that situation where you know you're going to be playing against the same players. Um, that's really where it's important. And that was like, like playing up at Grand Casino Malax because it was the same regulars every week there too. And I have bunches of notes on the players there that you play with every week. So if there's a, if there's players that you know, you're going to be playing with a lot, it's very important to take notes. Um, so what I would do is look for things that they do that are different than what I might assume would be the proper strategy. Maybe they overvalue, um, aces, you know, they play ace four, like it's like it's pocket aces. Maybe they, um, they limp a lot. They just want to see flops. Um, but if they, if they're aggressive, if they put out a bet, you know, they have two pair or better, you know, there's, there's different things that you can pick up about people and about the way they play, because for the most part, recreational players are not very aware of how they appear to everybody else at the table. They don't think anybody's paying attention. They're just playing their two cards, you know, and, and they're, they're just playing the way they play. And they don't think anybody's paying attention. So if you're paying attention and making notes about what they're doing, you, you have a much better chance of reacting to how they play. So I would take notes on players like um, um, very passive, you know, limps a lot. If he bets, get away from him, you know, um, and just in general, look for the tendencies that you see from the players and how they deviate from what you think is the proper way of playing. No, I think that's great. I, I took your advice. I started taking notes and I didn't go back to the game because of COVID. They ended up shutting it down. They, mm. They've got it back up and running and I did play one game. And it's always interesting to me when I attend one of those live games, that's primarily recreational players because I see so many things that go against what I think I'm supposed to be seeing and what I think I'm supposed to be doing. I now just need to figure out how am I going to exploit that or, or figure out what I'm going to do with that information, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what GTO is all about, right? You learn GTO. So you know what they're doing wrong so you can exploit it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the key right there. Yep. You guys in the Wrecking Crew, I envy you because you spend a ton of time, you know, going through different guests, different thought processes and all that sort of thing. Do you feel like, and I think this is going to be an obvious answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you feel like your game has benefited or changed from all the time you spend thinking and talking and analyzing how to play poker? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, one of the things that, that I think has happened and from the beginning till we are today, till where we are today, I think there was a lot of, um, it was much more of a beginner's mindset when we first started the rec poker podcast, 
And we probably appeal to really beginner players. And I see what we've kind of just been evolving, evolving, evolving. And there's times where I, I have to try to bring us back and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, what about the people that are just now getting into it? But the little guy. So, yeah. What about them? We're leaving them. We don't want to leave them behind. We need to keep, you know, yeah. we need to keep the the uh the blood moving you know we need to keep the the fresh blood coming in the people that are are just learning the just finding rec poker now if they listen to some of our conversations it's like holy mackerel you better have been studying for the last three (laughs) years because otherwise you're not going to know what we're talking about and so there's times where i feel that but we need to we need to step back down and say oh wait a minute what does continuation bet mean again what does you know what do these things mean again because there's people that just don't necessarily know that and i see that in the poker games i play where the people i hear i hear people talking strategy and it's like whoa you need to listen to rec poker because you you can learn a lot <laughs> i think you guys do a good job of that though i mean i hear you it's it's almost like you sense when something needs to be clarified or a, an expression or a term or an acronym or something needs to be spelled out. So I think you guys do a pretty good job. But I think that's an excellent point as far as keeping the the membership growing over time and new blood coming in and, and all that kind of thing. Because it would it could easily start to run a certain course and then run out if you don't think in those terms. Right. There's plenty of content for people that want to go further and further and further. But so, but def- definitely in the podcast and some of the um, things that we do live, we need to be more down to earth and be more welcoming to people and not throw out these terms that people don't understand just because it's part of our common language. Right, right. Do you have any poker goals today that are out in front of you? Um, I've really never made poker goals. I just besides the bracelet that you're going to win, you're going to right. Be, besides the bracelet besides this year, that, that you yeah. know, maybe the super seniors. <laughs> I can. I might, I might be able to beat a bunch of old people. I don't know if I could beat a bunch of twenty-year-olds. <laughs> it wasn't a bracelet, but one of the people that I used to play with locally won a seniors event. One of the big seniors events. I don't remember how much she won, but she won quite a bit. It was like double digits. So there was a. a a local guy, a Minnesota guy who recently just won a bracelet that I saw. His name is Rob Wazwaz. And he's been uh he's been crushing he's been crushing Minnesota poker for forever. As a matter of fact, there's a a, a people, anybody in Minnesota that's a poker player has heard of Wazwaz Pure. That's it's just something that people know because that's what he is he runs pure it's called waz waz pure and he ran pure and he actually won a bracelet which was really cool to see because you know like i say he's a he's a minnesota kid he's been doing it in minnesota for years and years and years he's he's won a lot of money in minnesota at some of the bigger tournaments and to see him go to the wsop and win a bracelet was very very cool nice nice you know i always finish my line of the questions uh, the same way because it's it sort of nets things out for me. And I know that Keith and, and Jim have some questions as well. But you've been exposed to so much. You've done a lot of studying before rec poker, part of rec poker and all that sort of thing. And, and we all know that there's just so much depth to poker that there's so many things that people could study. There's so many things that they could try to learn. 
if you look at your own experience out of the different things that you looked at, studied, whatever, what's the 20% that you think you would tell a new person, if you only have a certain amount of time to devote to this, spend your time doing this, what would that be? I would say getting a handle on your pre-flop ranges. You know, your pre-flop strategy, I guess, even more so than just ranges. Um, there's always, there's been this uh, thing, never limp pre-flop. And I think as, as a new player, if you just get a handle on your ranges based on being tighter earlier position, moving it wider and wider till you get to late position and then getting a nice big blind defense range and then understanding that you should be, you should never be limping from in position. Uh, the only time you should ever limp is when you check the table, when you're the big blind and everybody's limped to you. <laughs> That's about the only time you should ever do it. Yeah. Um, if you only did that, I think you could be somewhat, um, successful. At least you'll be have a better opportunity to win a few hands on the way. I was listening to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast the other day, and I don't know who the guest was. He was a pro type person. And that was the one thing he said that he'd been focusing on on his own game was cleaning up his pre-flop ranges. He said when he did that, when he made some adjustments there, a lot of things took care of themselves. I think he just got involved in hands he never should have been involved with and that sort of thing. Right. I know yeah, I've we, see, we see that in the forums too. We've there's been a few forum posts in recent history here where you know somebody gets involved with a hand that you know when you look back at it, well, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't even have played it to begin with. <laughs> and yeah. I see that on um I belong to a lot of different Discord um channels. Uh Red Chip Poker has a as a Discord channel and they do hand histories and whatnot. And so often a guy will put a hand history out there. And two or three responses. You should have never played it pre-flop. You should have never played it pre-flop. <laughs> so that just tells you how important it is because if you play those hands, you get yourself into these spots. And you're just you're you're just right, you know, you don't know how to navigate that spot. You end up giving away a lot of chips that yeah, you didn't was, have to if all you had to do is fold. I was playing an ACR tournament yesterday online, and I, I remember typing into Discord to one of the groups that I study with. I said, there is so much folding in this game. I felt like I had just sat there and folded for 45 minutes straight. And maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I just know I folded a lot. And I, it's, it's in moments like that that I ask myself, am I just playing too tight here? But every time I seem to deviate from that and get involved, I end up right where we're talking about. I shouldn't have been involved in the hand in the first place. I get out kicked or who knows what happens, all that kind of stuff. So Keith, you uh you had a question? Yeah, uh getting back getting back to the uh, note taking, I was just wondering about your your method. Uh what what would you recommend uh people look for? And also do you take notes on mannerisms and tells? Uh not, I don't take notes on tells. I don't think I look for them. Obviously, I look for, um, it, you know, one of the things they talk about is you should always don't watch the flop come out. Watch your opponent's eyes to see how they react to it. So that's something I do, and most people don't. Um, so I watch mannerisms and and try to understand, 
you know, try to feed, get the feel of when they're strong and when they're weak and, you know, that type of thing. My note taking is mainly um, deviations from what I think is a uh, good play. So if somebody's, for instance, if somebody is, if you're in a tournament and somebody raises first in for five big blinds, you go, what the hell is that? Why are you doing that? There's, there's no strategy that I'm, I'm currently a heard of that says raising to five big blinds is a good, is a good way of doing it. It's, it's a losing, you're losing EV by raising that much. There's no reason to raise that much. You're throwing at least two big blinds away that you don't have to. So I look for things like that or bet sizing. Um, it's interesting because I think people are not as stack aware, especially in a live arena. Because you don't have it right in front of you with a little thing saying right there, I got a hundred big blind. <laughs> I think they're not stack aware. So you see a bet and you see what they have left and you go, well, why did you do that? Why didn't you just jam them all in or bet smaller? One of the two. I mean, it just, those are the types of things I look for to try to understand where that person's coming from. Yo, I'll jump in there. Uh, I, 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 I'm a, online player predominantly i prefer playing live but i've got probably twenty thousand times as many hands played online that i do live it's not even close i think um, every that's everybody yeah yeah uh and and i i still struggle with like the stack sizes and making sure that i know exactly how much is in the pot because I, my brain's gotten lazy uh just having the computer do it um so yeah, that happens to everybody, no doubt. Um, talking about brains, so you've you've talked about uh, mindfulness, and uh, you and I have talked about um, like having a, a good perspective on life, and uh, like you know a stoic approach to some of these things. What do you credit in your own life um, bringing you to this kind of perspective on life? This stoic approach, this kind of you're you're very even keeled and you seem to be someone who really enjoys life. Everyone always talks about how they want to be doing things more like Rob is doing things. What do you credit with sort of bringing you to that point? Golf. Golf. <laughs> yep. It was golf. Definitely golf. I used to be, I mean, when I first started playing golf and I was in my thirties when I started playing golf. So it was, I was a late starter. Um, but I started getting really into it right away. I mean, the, the first time I went out, I just, just, it was, God, this is great. I got to do this again. I, I was out every weekend and I would get really, really pissed off. I used to have anger management problems when I was early uh, in my early days, yeah. I would throw clubs. <laughs> now here's one. I threw a club once and a par three, it was in my eight iron. I threw it like this and it went up and lodged in a tree. <laughs> I ended up having to climb onto the roof of the cart. <laughs> and hit with another club and knock it and finally got it to not fall down. And there's many of my golfing buddies will tell you about that story. There is also the story of me wading into a pond that was up to my tits um, to retrieve my putter because that's where my putter ended up. Because you helicoptered it out. <laughs> After I helicoptered it out. Well, I threw the ball and the ball didn't get there. So then I and the putter did get there. Um, so I knew that that had to change that, that had to change that there, there's just no, you can't be that way. 
And so um, actually there was a, there's a guy by the name of Dr. Joseph Parent who wrote a book called Zen Golf. And I read that book and I read that book. I have it on audiobook. I listened to that book. I listened to that book. I read the book. I listened to it. I mean, over and over and over again. And it really, really changed. It really, really changed my, my life. It wasn't just golf. It changed everything. I started meditating. Um, and it just seemed to, you know, when you do that, it's all the stuff that, that seemed to be so important is really not that important. It's so quit, quit being so pissed off about it. <laughs> That's such a good answer, man. Yeah. Golf and poker have that in common. You kind of, you can't get too attached to the results of things because you're not in control, even though you're, it's really just you against the world. It's still something where you have to, um, you know, be happy with your best, which is a nice, a nice life lesson for sure. Uh, what are some other uh, non-poker books? I know you've been a big reader all your life. Uh, uh, when you were younger, what what are some of the non-poker related books or series that you really enjoyed? Um, well, I've always listened or always read science fiction and fantasy. So there's a few um, books that stick out that I really like. Dune was like I read that when I was I think fifteen. 16 years old i mean the first time i read it and it was like wow it blew my mind um of course a lot of the rings i've only read that seven or eight times um <laughs> i've those those are the types of things i read um so i've george r, r. martin you know the game of thrones um series the world of ice and fire i guess it's called um I've read all of those waiting for the last book or the next book, which has been like 10 years since he <laughs> wrote the last one. Yep. So hopefully he doesn't kick off before he's done. Cause I'd still like to read it. Um, <laughs> but those are the types of things. And then for non, uh, non fiction, I guess, um, run a book. Rec- I, uh, this one I heard about from Andrew Brokus and thinking poker. It's called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'm reading that and, right now, as a matter of fact. Are you really? So am I. I mean, I'm, I've, I had it in my, at, at, I'm actually at my son's house right now, and I'm picking up my books. Ah. So I had it there. But it just so happened that Prime had it into their Prime reading list. So I, really? could, I, could, I could read it for free hmm. So uh, on my Kindle. So I, I, I picked it back up again. Cause it's, I've, my books has been here for the last two years. I read like halfway through it and then we moved and my books have been at my son's house cause I didn't have room for them. And now I'm picking them up. So in the meantime, I've been reading it on prime. So I'm, I'm back into it again. So I, I just think that's so fascinating the way people perceive things. Um, and I think it really applies a lot to, to poker. Mm. I think it does too. I think it does too. So actually three, three of the people on this panel right now are halfway through that book. <laughs> I've also been halfway <laughs> through that book for about three years and it's next to my, it's sitting next to my bed and I just have not read a page for fun in three years of anything. Uh, um, yeah. So I just got to get off Twitter and at night and uh, pull out, pull out the actual phone instead or pull out the actual book <laughs> instead. Cause uh, yeah, I want to finish that one. That was really cool. Yeah. 
Well, I know, Rob, we're going to be starting the uh, the book study soon. We're going to have to wrap this up yep. shortly so that you can go and host the next session. Um, I wanted to ask you about some of your uh, cha- your your travel stories and moving, you know, getting around America and sort of when you were younger. We might just have to have you back on as a guest one of these days and and do this again. I, sure. I, I think something tells me you're up for it. Um, well, I, I'm always there. You know, I, I try to be there for the podcast. So that's right. It, well, it's, it's some of the most fun we have all week uh, talking poker with the gang here on exactly. on Monday nights. Exactly. Well, uh, Greg, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, get in before we call this baby? Nothing else, but I want to just thank Rob for answering all my questions because I enjoyed it. It was good to get to know him. Yeah. Well, and thank you, Greg. It's uh, it's a treat having someone who's involved, but not so, you know, Rob and I are like cheek to jowl several days every week here. Uh, I don't even know what the interesting questions to ask are anymore because we're like brothers in this thing. Um, But that was great. I really appreciate you coming in and uh, taking the lead on this kind of stuff. Um, Do we know who's next in the, in the chamber? Are we going to let, let the group kind of figure that out? Let the group kind of figure it out. If anybody wants to step up, uh, I think Kim's probably got a lot of interesting stories. Mm. I think she's done a lot of coaching and solve for why stuff. And yeah, I think I, I think there's probably a lot that people would be interested in there. So that's the yeah. Well, we'll we'll send out the lasso, grab yeah. her, and bring her in here for one over the summer. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So if you want to learn more about Rob Washam, you go to rec.poker slash crew. And you can see him and everyone else on the Wrecking Crew and learn more about them. Um, Every two weeks on the first and third Wednesday of the month, Rob leads our book study uh, group. Uh, Right now we're working on Dara O'Carney and Barry Carter's Endgame Poker Strategy, the ICM book. Uh, But we've just got a whole row of bangers in there over the years. We can say that now. Over the years, we've been doing the book study. Uh, There's several great ones to catch up on there, too. And Rob does a fantastic job putting slides together, um, guiding the conversation, asking good questions. And we record all the sessions. So if any premium members are interested in catching up on some of the previous sessions, you can go and watch those videos and take advantage of of Rob's great work here. Um, Well, Rob, is there anything else that you'd like to leave with Rec Poker Nation before we wrap this up? No, not really. I think I I said it all. Just make sure you Study your pre-flop ranges, everybody. <laughs> That's right. And thank you, Greg. One thing out of this: study those pre-flop ranges. <laughs> it's yes. true. And uh, and Rob's also active on Twitter at Rabman50, and he's at Rabman50 pretty much everywhere. So if you want to go uh, hook up with him, you can anytime. Well, then I guess without any further ado, I'll thank uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp, uh, Keith for joining us here in the chat, and a big one for Greg and Rob for putting this together. And to you, the listeners, for keeping this all going. Thanks, everybody. See you again soon.